Ladies and gentlemen, this episode, episode 39, is brought to you by NY Varsity Sports. That is watching me, watching you. It's also brought to you by Beach Volleyball National Events, one of the biggest Get Notice showcases in the United States of America. Um, come play with us, uh, BVNE. It's also brought to you by Endless Summer Beach Volleyball. If you're stuck here in the summer for AAUs, didn't bring your coaches with us, come train with us. We have some of the best coaches in the United States. Pompilio, Jeff Samuels, Rob Keeper, McLean, McLean, and yours truly, Jason DeBias, not to mention Jaron Burrito. Um, Endless Summer Beach Volleyball, a family that plays together, stays together. Ladies and gentlemen, I got Aaron Wexler on the episode, episode 39, and this episode starts right now. You know what? A lot of people have been asking me about this guy, and me, I deliver because me, I got to give the people, give the people what they want. Aaron Wexler, what's good, baby? How you doing, bro? Happy to be here, man. Nice. We were um before we got on camera, we were having a little bit of a conversation about um how COVID um hit the volleyball world. Um, for those of you just listening on listening listening in and who've been live, living under a rock for half of your life, Aaron Aaron Wexler's the um the uh, the founder and coach of West Coast Volleyball Club, former UCLA Libero. The guys the guy's been neck deep in volleyball, and I'm on, honored and privileged and and amongst the the other guests, man, it's just a normal day for us, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so um, when COVID hit and when you're when Everybody started shutting things down. Where, where were you when that happened, that moment? Yeah, yeah. You know, that was a tough moment. Um, you know, we were getting ready to just go right into our spring season for our club and um, kind of had everything mapped out and had staff mapped out. And when that hit, it was kind of just like a, hey, like, can't do that anymore. Got to shift, you know, um, took all the nets down. Yeah, I actually remember going down to the beach and the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the maintenance guys came and just were just start, starting to take nets down and stuff. And it was kind of like a, a moment where we're like, ooh, okay. Um, not sure what's happening here, but uh, definitely know definitely know that I have to pivot in some sort of capacity. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, man. Um, yeah, when I talked to John uh, Mayer, John Mayer's the head coach at LMU. I was a director of operations there for a little bit. Helped helped him wrap up that WCCs. Um he said they were on their way to play GCU, and then everyone was trying to find ways to get off the plane because <laughs> the match got canceled. So um. yeah, it was tough, man. Like for us too, like like my income kind of stopped. You know, it was like that's my you know I run my company. That's that's how I I'm able to live, and so that was kind of like just like a whoa, what is really happening right now? You know, and then obviously watching the news and stuff, <sighs> tough. You know, just trying to aggregate all the information, and then like the information just keep just was constantly changing and there just wasn't like a clear path forward. That was tough. Yeah, man, it was, um, same thing. I'm with endless summer beach volleyball, you know, and, um, for me, Hermosa beach, I live here. I trip, yeah. I fall, I'm on the beach, you know, um, pretty, pretty good life when I could walk to walk to work instead of working that, that nine to five, <laughs> dude, I could never work a nine to five again. <laughs> Yeah, I could never work a nine to five again, man. It's just you find something you love and you're like, you know, for the same shitty salary I could do, that. I might as well do what I like. 
Yeah, man, me too. You know, uh, it's just it just wasn't for me, you know. Um, and so I'm I'm blessed. I'm grateful to be able to, you know, do what I love to do every day. Yeah. Are you a homebody? Did you have cabin fever? <laughs> I definitely had cabin fever during that time. But, you know, um, after after a week or two, you know, I definitely I definitely like did a check. I did a check in with myself and I was like, man, like I want to come out of this better. You know, I want to come out of this whole thing like, I, you know, what? actually, I saw something. I can't remember his name, but I saw something on a, like an IG live or something like that. There was a lot of content going on at the beginning of that COVID. You know, a lot of people were doing conversations and just talking and sharing ideas. And someone said, um, you know, take this opportunity, take this opportunity to reinvent yourself. And I kind of was like, man, what does he what does he mean by that? But I took that to say, man, like, like start something new, like try something new right now, you know, and my roommate is, he's awesome. Uh, his name's Al Brown and he's a trainer and a, a great trainer. And so we were doing all these like push-up challenges and sit-up challenges and, you know, trying to, trying to stay active. Um, but yeah, I just took that, that mindset of like, man, like I want to come out of this as a better version of myself. Yeah. I started running again. I, I, I dude, I freaking hate running. And, mm -hmm. um, I basically said from now till my, um, July, July I turned 50. Um, just run every day until you turn fifty. I want to. I have a certain goal. Cool. I have a certain goal. I want to be this 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 weight. I call it my playing weight, even though I don't play anymore. My playing weight is like anywhere from one ninety five to two hundred five. Um, so you know, because I'm big boned, and um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, and so far, so far, I don't hate running anymore. You know what I, I do? I started listening to these podcasts, and to see where what I've done well and to see where I could get better. You know, for example, like I, t I told you before, I had Jason Olive on the podcast. Um, and some and the cool thing about the good thing and bad thing about podcast is that it's not an interview. You're like we we can shoot back and forth. You could ask me questions. We you know, there are no rules. We could just do do whatever the F we want. Um, and the bad thing about podcasts is sometimes you, you, you have a guest and they're, they're trying to get to a point and stay on subject and on a certain subject. And I have this habit of saying things that are interesting and sometimes they don't have shit to do with what the hell you're talking about. So the episode with Jason, like I did it twice, but Jason brought it back twice. And it's something I didn't notice until like um after i you know i was jogging the other day and i just started listening you know to podcasts because if i'm listening to podcasts i ain't thinking about running i'm not i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not miserable um or you listen to guns and roses like welcome to the jungle you got a good pace for that for and, sure. and, and jason brought it back and i was like cool man so now you're talking about being a better versions of yourself right um that that was one of the things i was doing i was and every episode um, it's going to be something new. I got to add something new that makes the podcast better. Like uh, this is a live version, so you don't see the icon, but the edited version, you're going to see like the headphones, uh, like the blank face and the headphones, you're going to see it like on one of the corners. Um, names come up. We're going to, um, you know, like if there's a video of like you playing in a qualifier, you know, mm -hmm. I, um, usually my tech, my tech girl, I have, I have a sound engineer and a tech person um, that has um, the camera hooked up to a laptop and they, they pull it up while we're having a conversation. And in fact, cool. I set up the camera where um, you don't actually have to be in studio to see to see the video or to see the article. You could see it on you could see it live with us, you know, and that was one of the very, improvements. Very I cool. Because one of the improvements I had before you could hear it, but you couldn't see it because you weren't in studio. But now. Right. But like you said, we're, we, we, you know, we 
I'm not a, a, a sound engineer. I beca- we be volleyball players. We be, we become we become them, right? <laughs> I just mentioned sure. before we got on the show, we're we're the secret service of um, uh, of athletes. We you know we're <laughs> like uh, I'm not a journalist. Well, guess what? We want to talk about volleyball. You just became you you you, you got to learn how to be a journalist. You know, um, yeah. your 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 podcast, you which is taking off. I mean, from the ground running for Christ's sakes, had Reed Pretty, who's like United Nations citizen of the world for volleyball, right? <laughs> Um, That's right. A Dane Blanton, who um, is an inspiration, um, you know, for for many people, Olympic gold medalist, but particularly in the African American community, in the neighborhoods I grew up in in New York, like a lot of people that want to know about volleyball, I, I give him Dane Blanton, and he doesn't know it because he's 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 a you know like you and me, we're oblivious to this. We're just we're just doing our thing, you know. And that's well, cool. I wouldn't say oblivious. I'm definitely aware of it. But but yeah. Dane Blanton is a class act. And he's, you know, as a gold medalist, what, what's cool about Dane is that he uses his gold medal uh, to this day. You know, he won the gold medal in two, the year 2000. But he, he still does inspirational talks. He does motivational talks. Um, you know, a lot of champions take their, you know, take their win and they kind of put their medal or their champion their, their championship on the wall and they're like, yeah, that's mine. You know, I got that. But that's cool. But like, for me, a guy like Dane is like, no, I'm actually going to go share this. I'm going to go try to inspire some other people with this, even if it was 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, man. I I like it because it's something you can't, they can't take away. Right. It's um, as far as like people's opinions or, or people's view on someone, someone's game or what they, what their legacy is. An Olympic gold medalist is an Olympic gold medalist, and and he That's did right. it. He did it being beating the best team in the world. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't bet on him to win that, dude. I'm an American, all right. I believe red, white, and blue. I mean, I, I I got a camera right now, and I could point my camera. In fact, I'm gonna do it right now. I got a camera that points at this big old American flag I have on my wall. Oh, oh glory! Hold on a second. <laughs> right there. There yeah. it is. That's right. Yeah. I can kiss my red, white, and blue ass. Um, so yeah, but you so, know what, what, what's cool about Dane though? I was actually right before this, I was just listening back to that episode, which is I'm going to release next week. Um, but he actually talks about how no one expected him to win. No, him and Eric Fanoi Moana, and and that you know that low expectation actually fueled them to be like, hey, hey, let's make some noise, you know. And um, I, I, I'm just blessed, man. I've, I've been able to talk to nine Olympic gold medalists thus far, including Karts Karai, including Eric Fanoi Moana, including Todd Rogers, including Phil Dahlhauser, um, you know, and just talking to all these people, man, it's just, it's been an absolute blessing and the, the learning curve for all the things within the game, which is the title of my podcast, it, it just, it's amazing to just kind of feel all this stuff. You know, a lot of this stuff is like foundational things that, coaches and athletes we don't really have the time to do because we're always talking about like the what like the 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 practice of today or the the upcoming tournament but there's so many underlying foundational principles and concepts um and those are things that we talk about in my podcast nice process and preparation too absolutely process preparation um you know belief confidence um you know uh, the whole idea of of my podcast is, is about inspired living for the athlete, because a lot of times athletes, man, we, you know, we're inspired in our game, but sometimes it's, it's tough to sustain that, you know, it's tough to sustain that feeling and to, to, to have inspired performances, you know? Um, So the goal is to try to sustain that and be a little bit more consistent with that inspired performance. Yeah, man. And honestly for volleyball, 
this whole volleyball podcast thing is still in its pioneering stage, right? I mean, that's right. When I first moved to California, this is four and a half years ago. Um, uh, before that, I was just an indoor guy. You know, I'm sitting there setting for teams. I go to nationals and win. I just, I just never wanted to go to nationals because I, I never wanted to pay for it, right? You know, like Bameso, right? I set for them, but you know, Batista comes on the team. He ain't got to pay. They're trying to get me to pay. I'm like, oh, right, right. Bye, bye. <laughs> you know, thanks for nothing. But um, when I came, it was just John Mayer. It was coach your brains out. All right, him and um, Billy Allen. Um, Those guys and, are awesome, by the way. Aren't they? Yeah. yeah, they're great. Well, I mean, I, I mean, if we're talking on the set or off the set, we both win, right? And that's right. that's that's win-win because off. I mean, you can't. You're not going to be two nicer guys if that's what you're talking about as well. No, for sure, they're um, class acts. I go all the way back, man. I yeah. I go back because we we used to train together at the Santa Monica Pier, and yeah. I kind of uh, I saw Bill, Billy. I mean. Both those guys are amazing, but Billy was like so skilled. Both of them were actually, you know, John too. Like there's, they were so skilled at a young age. And yeah. Travis Schoonover, my best friend, uh, we and and you know, like original beach partner. Like we would always like look up to those guys because they would make the game look so easy, even at a young age. Yeah, yeah. Skill set. I mean, when it's tight when you're young, it never goes away, does it? You know. No, it only gets better actually. But but it was just impressive. Their body control, their their mind control. They were just so calm all the time. You know, I really look up to those guys. Yeah, dude. I mean, first time I played John Mayer, I was it was a volleyball vacation. My girl was there. <laughs> my cool. girl was there for the tournaments, whatever, like mm -hmm. sob. And I yeah. was there south of the border stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I was there the exhibition. I was an indoor guy. Indoor guys play the beach guys. So, yeah. you know, they gave me tie and he had he had a uh, Karen's uh, Mark Karen's. And, um, oh, Mark Karen's. Yeah. Or, or, or it could have been Mike could have been his older brother who's who's actually pretty okay. good, too. And like basically score. We ain't going to talk about the score. I got housed. All right. Um, <laughs> but the two moments that that made me and John appreciate each other was there was a ball that's off the one block. I'm in the hatch just trying to defend the one block. And he hit the ball like in front of me. And you know how someone hits a ball in front of you, you just kind of do, you do one of these. Like you just, you reach down to protect your nuts and you, and you, and you do one of these and everybody just started cracking up. But that, that wasn't the interesting part. The interesting part was one play later, Mark is blocking line and John's playing a hatch and I hit the exact same ball back at him. And you know how like the ball hits the sand a certain way, like it pops straight up to make it look yeah, like, it to make it mm -hmm. looks like, you know, look like it's better than it really was. I mean, it was some of that, but, but the timing, like me doing that one play later was like, like John saying, okay, all right, you could play, <laughs> you know, but something he told me later, we went to dinner that night and he said, if he didn't, you know, house me, he felt like that he wasn't respecting me. You know what I'm saying? Like if you if you don't go all out, you know, if you're playing a game to 15 and you're 11 points better, then then beat me by 11. Don't don't be a you know don't be a dick. Don't walk by and smirk or whatever. So, so the thing I've always respected about him is his him, you know, um, out techniquing you to death, blowing you out of the water is his way of showing you respect, and and his way of showing you that that this game this beach game deserves respect, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I, I played plenty in Central Park. I mean, I played on the sand. <laughs> not, that's not the same. I played in the sand and I used that, you know, you know a lot of outdoor players use it to help them um, Absolutely. Condition, condition for indoor. It helps them with their yeah, blocking, helps them sure. with their serve location, and it helps them with their digging. Freaking free balls, everybody. You're, right? I'm, ta I'm trying to take it with my hands. You got forearms above my hands. You just take, you're taking it from me because you played on the sand. So, so I think, 
and I'm, I'm going to steer this back because I just drove us both off the cliff. I think <laughs> the thing, uh, the point I was trying to make was the accessibility that volleyball players has have um, the way to, to their fans, um, to the media. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the media is a pain in the ass. You're, you're trying to talk like that. But the, the accessibility is golden. And I really they, they have my respect for that, you know, because when I was doing the beat for volleyball one on one, Billy Allen talked. You're right. Um, um, Todd Rogers, you know, he was at the, you know, like the get notice showcases. I, I get all mm-hmm. of you guys. You, I got you. I got <laughs> you on. It was you. It was you. Um, Matt Olson, Todd Rogers, and um, Christian Cold. Um, uh, Mike Campbell's yeah. assistant at Long Beach State. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to Mike Campbell, too. Good so, friend of mine. so give give us a little bit of a teaser, a little bit of a spoiler. Give me what was something that Reed said that made you crack up? Haha. <laughs> Um, you know, Reed talks a lot about his why, um, you know, he, it's a, it's a funny question too. When you, when you ask an athlete, what is your why? And they're like, what do you mean? My, my why is to win, you know, like I just want to win. Um, yeah, I mean, all of us just want to win, but the cool thing about Reed is that he kind of opened my eyes to it's, it's a deeper question than that. Um, he actually interviewed Simon Sinek. Do you know who that is? No. He's awesome, man. He's an author, um, uh, TED Talk speaker, but he talks a lot about oh, identifying. I know. Sorry. Yeah. No, but let, he, let the let the audience know. Go ahead. Yeah, Simon Sinek is just he, he's just, he's just a he's just a genius, man. He's he's what he's done is he's taking the idea of your why and he's saying like, identify that. Don't just float through life. You know, figure out what you're what you're doing, what you're about. You know. Um, and, and why you do what you do. Because if you don't do that stuff, you're just going to float around and then you're going to let the outside circumstances kind of dictate your experience. And that just doesn't sound that fun. You know, um, talking about fun. It, 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 and the reason why I really liked my conversation with Reed and I really liked watching the conversation that he had with Simon is that, man, it's, it's foundational. You have to understand your why, man. Like you have to wake up every day knowing what you're doing. Um, and why you're doing it and who you're going to serve and like why you're here. You know, it, it doesn't really have to go too philosophical because um, that's part of our conversation too. Like that's it's the like, challenge, right? You know, it's, it's the ultimate question. Why are we here? Right. It, it, it's not so much about that because there's no real answer to that. It's more of a subjective, like, man, like what's my mission? Is it just to win volleyball games? Is it, is it just to win? Because winning and losing is kind of just like a small part of the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, man, like, no, man, like using, using my, my gifts, my innate abilities to actually help the world, you know? I pre- definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. For me, the why, because I'm old school, right? Why, why is a very big um, revolution, should I say, not an evolution, Big up to Duncan Avery, wherever you are. Um, but it's a revolution in a sense that when I came up playing and my coach wanted me to do something and I asked why, he'd be like, <laughs> yeah. why? Right. Why, ain't you, why ain't in your vocabulary, motherfucker? So, you know, right. what, what, why? Get over, why? Get over there. So uh, why is important? Because this generation of people, and I'm talking about the people after you, and the, and the people after that, up to the present, if they understand why they're more productive, if they get the why, they're, they're, they're more productive and, and they're not just going in on, just on blind faith. And my challenge... Well, 
Go ahead. Yeah, go no, go ahead. Okay. And uh, my challenge is someone who, who who's who studied the sport of volleyball, who's who's been playing for thirty years, who's been coaching for twenty one. I've only been coaching beach for five years, but um, God bless you guys for just getting me in, and, and now it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is sometimes why is a practice thing, why is a video room thing, why is a whatever in game? Um, there has to be the balance of blind faith. Absolutely. There has to be Agreed. the balance. I mean, you ain't got, you got, you ex, I mean, during a timeout or if coaches are allowed to talk during the switch, you only have this small amount of time and be, and if like they understand why and if their confidence in their coach and, and the coach's confidence in the player are on this par, um, blind faith is, 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 is golden. You know, I mean, where, where I grew up, where I, the way I grew up playing blind faith was, was it you know and and it's crazy and it's it's great and it's and it's awesome that this this smart generation of kids uh, um are are just so much better and so much more productive floor is yours what are you going to say well yeah no no absolutely i agree with you um i was going to say basically so we don't have to go too political here but you know understanding your why like okay so going back to reed right he's big on max potential he even has a, a a mindset course all about discovering your the maximum part of your potential. Like that's a that's a great why, you know. Like I I'm going to train, I'm going to compete because I want to figure out what I can do, you know. Um, but on a bigger level, you know, the why is because I want this world to be a better place. You know, you you look at what's going on right now, and it's like, okay, do I am I part of the solution? Am I part of the problem? Or am I just neutral? Or you're neither, you know? yeah. And, and, but those are all choices, right? So like if you if you try to identify your why and you do some like self-reflection and really get into like, man, like what is my why about not just sports and not just volleyball and not just my own personal little world, but it's like, what is my contribution, yeah. right? And like, and how can I help, you know? And that gets constructive and productive. You know, I interviewed Karch, which was a, a blessing and something that kept coming up to him was, productive thoughts, you know, really a training your mind to stay with the productive thoughts more than the unproductive thoughts, starting to release those unproductive thoughts, becoming more um, aware of the productive thoughts and allowing those productive thoughts to transfer into productive action. Yeah, I think, um, I think we could use more of that in the world. Yes, absolutely. Because there are just a lot of things that are happening just off of instinct Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 not just instinct, but reactivity, right? Uh, something else that comes up is like, you know, uh, conditional reactivity. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's conditions that are around, and our when you when you said instinct, our natural instinct is to react, right? It's it's and and bringing it back to volleyball, it's such a reactive sport, right? Right? We're just like reacting all the time, but um, but knowing that that's, that's it's just a conditional react reaction rather than an unconditional reaction would be based from love and and based from kindness that's kind of my what i'm trying to teach these kids right now it's like don't be too conditional with your reaction yes react to things that happen you know and i'm talking mostly outside of the game right now i'm talking about society you know Um, this is called the option my man (laughs) yeah 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 but like but but i love the title of that because it's your choice yeah. It's it's always about choice, you know. Um, one thing I want to give a shout out to my friend Aaron Felton, uh, longtime Westside guy on the beach, um, just 
just a, a friend of mine, but he he told me one time, uh, he, he told me this and I kind of laughed at him, but he goes, it's up to you, bro. Yeah. Everything is up to you. And I was like, man, okay, all right, whatever. But like, I thought about that. That's the most brilliant piece of advice I've ever received. <laughs> nice. It's all up to you. Yeah. So, um, you know, you know, um, Edgar Tokes, mm-hmm. Latvian player. Um, actually, no. I think I don't know if he has enough points, but I think him, their team, and Lion King or whatever, they're 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 probably. I think Latvia is probably gonna have two teams in the Olympics. He okay. just he just messaged us. He's on Plavin's partner. Um, cool. Beach volleyball is a lifestyle. It builds your personality and your view of the world and how things are built. And yeah, and love that. And it's so, it's, I mean, what he's saying is so general, but so applicable to what we're talking about. Like for, for my audience who doesn't play, who don't play a lot of volleyball, there are certain things you do as a hobby. All right. You do this and that's a hobby that you, you play tennis, sure. you do this, you, you're, you're, um, you, you DJ. Okay. Uh, that's a hobby. And there are certain people that do things professionally and they do this to make their money. And it's, it's one of their sources of income, if not their sole source of income, but this gray area, and you're going to love this, Aaron, this gray area in the middle of being a professional and having it a hobby is something called a lifestyle mm-hmm. where there are people who are so neck deep into this, this is they love and this is who they, not just what they do, this is who they are. And whether they make money from it or whether they don't, that's this huge category that this lump of people from the South Bay to my Dominicans um, uptown in New York who, who who play hard top fours in Central Park, you know, who, who won nationals twice with Bob Meso. Um, my Polish guys out of Brooklyn, I actually set for a team called Paul M. They won nationals in 1996 for Open. Um, so you people are dismissive about what's uh what's what's a lifestyle do you get paid for it i'm like no it's that's that's not the money's not relevant because <laughs> if the money were relevant we wouldn't be doing this okay that's that's <laughs> it. we really wouldn't be doing this okay we get paid but we get but wex you ain't doing this for the money <laughs> okay <laughs> come on say it with me we ain't doing this for the money all right so i just wanted to apprise everybody what um, volleyball means to certain people that that um, lead us to where we are. I mean, to you, you're like, why is he saying this? Obvious is obvious. You you we're in the bubble, okay? We're the bubble bunch, all right. If you never left the bubble, you would think volleyball is the number one sport in America. <laughs> you you so would. So read pretty. Um, the thing I liked about his thing is because the result of what he's trying to do is um, the result is going to. It's about us being better versions of ourselves. That's not his intention. That's not his goal. That's the result. Because if you mix your goal with the results, you're going to be fucked. All right? And there go my sponsors. <laughs> um, so, um, wow, he, Edgar's, Edgar's all into this. But um, I think the point I was trying to make is be, goals and expectations, because that was Reed's goal, his, um, his expectation is he becomes a better version of himself. I think the short time he's been on the beach, you know, when he decided to go full time, man, it's, it's been a revolution, right? Well, not an evolution. You know, I actually played against him uh, his first year uh, in a qualifier in in Huntington Beach. And uh, (laughs) it was kind of cool. I actually saw the draw. You know, when you see the draw, you're like, oh, great. I got a four time Olympian and a gold medalist and a bronze medalist my first round. Fantastic. You you know, you were were effed anyway. Did you see that bracket? You were effed anyway. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But I got all these people texting me. Sorry, did you know how they, do you know how they played after they beat you? 
They played uh, Rafu Rodriguez and Kevin McCulloch. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, just looking back on that, I remember actually being really grateful for that opportunity. You know, um, the result wasn't very good on my end. You know, we got we got smoked. But, you know, in what's cool about our sport, like I got to play a four time Olympian. Like, that's amazing. I actually got to also play against Phil and Todd in 2008 before they went and won their gold. And like looking back on all those experiences, like, again, we got smoked on that one, too. But like I had these incredible opportunities to play against greatness. And for, to me, I'm just absolutely grateful for those opportunities because not just for the actual experience, but because of the the shared knowledge, like, you know, yeah, we're competing against each other, but I'm actually learning about their game. I'm like, oh man, look how we just made that step. Oh my God, look, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually aggregating information as I'm competing, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not an Olympian, but I really look up to those guys. And I, and I, especially a guy like Reed, you know, he just made his transition. That was, I believe that was 2018. Yeah. Um, and he just well, freaking that, yeah. won, he won the Manhattan Open last year, you know, like with, um, a year Trevor, later. Trevor Crab, yeah, with Trevor Crab, and and it's just like, like that's amazing to me, you know, and and just and and he worked his butt off, man. Like he trained hard. He he completely just went all in. That he term trained. all in to an athlete, yeah, he you know, and, and a too. coach, you know, and, and actually, and any craftsman, anyone who wants to be a craftsman, you know, that term all in is is important, you know, and you could just follow Reed because Reed just went all freaking in and um and he was able to get his name on the pier you know yeah hey listen reed also trained smarter you, yeah. you're a former indoor player yeah if he went all in the uh, like an, an indoor way the way he went on the beach he would have he would have i mean he i don't i don't know how long he would have lasted given his age i mean first of all you you're coming to the beach at age 38 or whatever that's or you're already late in the house and in light of the fact you're on the world scene where you can take a, as much as a million swings in one year <laughs> a million swings um I, I mean that's basically 303 what three three thousand six hundred and fifty swings a day or something like that I, I don't know i don't know the math or whatever but i'm very impressed that his the way he's training like as far as but, impact impact yeah, training. but but i wanted to say something about all in because going back to my conversation with him please um it he, it's cool to be all in in something right like one thing like you could say volleyball right yeah but what's what's even cooler is to take that experience and apply it to other th other areas too, and it, and it's kind of a check on yourself too. When you're all in on something, you're like, okay, what areas am I not all in? Yep. You know, and and then that's cool because that opens up your life because like we we, we just talked about choice, and I, I again I love the idea of the option. Um, yep. you know, you can choose where to be all in, you know, and and that's that that gets exciting. I think most of us, myself included, are just very rarely all in in anything. You know, um, it, it, yep. I'll admit that, you know, like uh, I, I think it's something I'd like to shift and, and change. Um, but just being aware of like, OK, am I OK? Let's just start with my parents. Like, am I all in with my relationship with my, my family? You know, I think a lot of people are not quite honestly, I, I, you know, I'm not. <laughs> well, hey, that's a check. You know, it's like, why? Is it, a, is it a defensive thing? Is it because they you know what I mean? Like and you don't have to answer that. I'm just that's not, rhetorical. But, I'm but just, that's a why for a lot of people, though. 
That's Listen, what I'm saying. We're, and we're, so what's yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what's cool about, you know, the idea of, of all in and watching people that are champions on the on the volleyball court or in any sport is to say, man, like that's so cool to see how they were all in in that area, you know, and what other areas can they now be all in. And for Reed, you know, it's about family. It's about faith. It's about being an entrepreneur now, you know, and it's all these lessons that you take from the court or from within the game, you know, that you can you can transfer out, you know, and that's that's to me is the exciting part. Yeah, it's definitely, look, volleyball does definitely makes people better human beings because of the discipline and because respect for the game, respect for other people, being all in with your training, um, uh, mixing your what, what, what you want, um, what you expect to happen and what your goals are. And it's mm-hmm. very, very important. And, and for the, anyone that doesn't understand, just think about theater. Like if you're on a stage uh, with the intention to be a star, you're not going to be a star. All right. But if you put in the work, if your intention is action objective, you know, finding out what the character wants and this and that, guess what? Then your theater performance is good and then maybe you'll be a star. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm when I'm talking for the people who don't know what I mean about mixing your goals with your expectations, because, Aaron, they sound so much alike. Mm-hmm. Goal, my goal, my expectation. What's the difference? You know, I mean, which is which is a legitimate question for people who don't who who never asked that question. Well, another thing that's coming to mind from that conversation Please. is how Reed always starts with the end in mind. You know, that's that's goals, right? It's like the the mission. Let's say it's a, the gold medal, right? So you work backwards from that goal. Gold medal is the expectation. Yeah, or whatever the goal is, man. Even if it's even if it's making your bed in the morning. Quite honestly, you could you could you could. Um, you can make any goal you want, but having the end goal in mind, okay, and then you 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 work down from that. You know, I think a lot of athletes and champions kind of innately do that. Um, but for anyone who's not an athlete and, and and has these goals and has and 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 have these ideas of what they want, starting with the end goal in mind is a big key. No, no doubt. Um, for me, um, that's expectation. For example, um, the bedroom you're just talking about. Mm-hmm. My goal, make my bed every morning. My expectation, I just want the room to look nice. Your mm-hmm. room, dude, mm-hmm. your room can look like shit. But if you make your bed in the morning, guess what? <laughs> guess what? They're like, okay, he's not he's not a mess. He's just, <laughs> he, he made his bed. I like him. <laughs> One of the things uh, I've been doing lately, and I'm very blessed and very grateful to be able to say this, um, but I've been able to jump in the ocean every day. Um, it, it, it's cold sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes I don't even want to. I'm like, eh. But I know the end goal for me is the feeling when I get out. It feels amazing. It feels um, like baptism. It does, man. You it really baptism. does. Some, sometimes I go twice in a day, you know, and just jump in and it's it just feels so good. And and what I, what I was getting to, my point was uh, creating habits, you know, like to me, that's a habit that I've created for myself. I'm, I'm like, and now I've done it so much that like, I want, I want more of it. It's, it's like something I crave, you know, um, feeling, but those habits, it, what I've learned about, uh, about successful habits by interviewing so many successful people is that is key creating successful habits for yourself. Just like making the bed. That's one that's, it becomes a habit after a while. Mm-hmm. And then the expectation actually becomes the habit. So like there's that meeting point. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't mean to digress too much, but I was just saying that like, you know, the habits, are so key for anyone listening right now. Like what habit can you, can you try to get a little better at? Can you try to implement to meet your expectation level? Yep. I like that. Let's, um, 
I want to talk about you for a second. Are sure. You, you, you played libero at UCLA, right? Mm-hmm. Where'd you play high school? Uh, Santa Monica High School. Santa Monica High School. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. All right, you're playing whatever, junior high, you're playing club, maybe USYVL, you're playing high school, you're playing high school club. What point in your life, take us back, and I want, this, this might require some concentration or you might remember it like it's yesterday. At what point or what match or tournament did you play in that when you left where you're like, wait, I can do this for real. <laughs> I can do this. I could do this competitively on the national stage in college, or I can do this. I can do this professionally. I can do this. This that might separate me from the others. Okay, because somewhere, be, listen, between somewhere between winning an Olympic gold medals, okay, and then playing jungle jungle ball, the barbecue with the fake net and the, and the, and the plastic ball, are, are are the these players who who who've made some money. You know who've gotten who've who've got got them in the college in some form via mixture of academic and athletic. So, what point in your childhood? And I'm assuming it's your childhood. Um, I'm I'm only assuming it could have been UCLA. At what point in your life did you tell yourself, "Wait a second, I could do this shit for real"? It's a great question. Um, I don't know if I can actually pinpoint in a moment, but I will. I will tell you. I'll tell you one moment that happened for me. I'll actually, I'll tell you a few. Uh, before I was a volleyball player, I was a baseball player. I was good. Um, I wanted to be a, a, a Dodger. I was a shortstop and a pitcher, and I, I loved the game. I still love the game. But there was a moment for me, I was probably 13 years old, 12 or 13. I was uh, playing short, and there was like one of those lulls in the game in baseball. You know, like baseball is kind of slow, and there was like this lull in the game, and I was just kicking the dirt. And I was like, man, like I need something quicker. Found I found beach volleyball. Um kind of fell in love with it. And I, from every day from in, in high school, when I was at Samo High, again, lucky and blessed to be able to walk down to the beach every day after school. So my friend Clayton and I, uh, we just walked down and we just, we just played until the lights went off. They had lights at the courts there. And so that's how I developed. But in terms of like, like knowing that I could do this, um, I don't know, man. I think I just kind of, it was more of a feeling of like, this is fun. And I really enjoy this. And I think maybe, you you know, winning or well, winning definitely helps. Anytime you win at something, you're like, oof, that's great. But I remember playing in the the beach junior Olympics um, in uh, down in Imperial Beach with Clayton. And, and we were pretty new. We, 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 we were kind of almost rookies, but we got a bronze medal. And I think that moment was like, man, like I could do this. And I want to do this and this is fun. And not only that, I'll tell you a couple more things and, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but, um, you're my guest. You're supposed to, <laughs> you're supposed to ramble. <laughs> there was a moment, I think in high school when I was, when I was playing on the indoor team and I was the captain and, and I, I was good and I was focused and I was driven, but there was a moment where I was like, man, you know what? I want to be a D one athlete. And I remember going to, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, this is a good this is a good one for you. I remember going to a tournament um down in San Diego again with my team. And uh we all got split up in rooms. We're staying staying at a hotel, right? And so like um most of my friends who I was connected cuz you know, like you have little clicks on the on a team, right? So most of my friends were kind of like in over there like on a different part of the hotel and and I was over here with with a uh, 
you know, with one of the teammates who was kind of more, a little bit more quiet. And the next day we had a tournament, right? So I was like, cool, let's get some good sleep, eat some good food and get up and go win. Right. But all my other teammates were partying, you know, and it was that moment where I was like, okay, like I, I like to party too, man. Like I'm all about having a good time, but we're here for a tournament and we're here to win. And I was a little confused. I was like, why can't we part? Why can't we party tomorrow night? <laughs> you know, and I was after like, I was a little confused. Yeah. You know, I was a little confused about that. Um, but whatever. It, it, it I, I didn't harp on that too much. I was, I, I remember feeling disappointed a little bit. But I, I think that to me was a turning point, saying, you know what? I have different goals. I have different goals, and that's okay. It's not. It's not like a bad thing or anything. It was a little disappointing because they were my teammates at the time and I was trying to lead the team. But I think that was a turning point to say, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. What what you feel inside of you, you need to go get it um, and just do whatever's necessary. I'll tell you one more thing uh, well, again. But I like um, that story about taking care of things you can control. Yeah, you know? absolutely. There was another there was another moment. Um, I think that was the moment that really got me thinking D1. I wasn't thinking UCLA. I actually wanted to go to UC Santa Barbara. Um, that was my my dream school. But there was a moment where after after practice one day, um, it was about six o'clock and everyone's getting ready to go home and stuff. And I decided that I wanted to just try to get a little quicker. So I went outside of the gym and I started doing sprints on my own. It was, it was getting dark. You know, everyone was leaving and, uh, and I just was doing sprints by myself. And the soccer coach kind of approached me and was like, Hey, Hey, Wex, uh, what are you doing? Practice is over, you know? And I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm just trying to get a little quicker. I'm, I want to, I want to go play D1. And he was like, that's awesome. He goes, I'll do whatever I can to help you. And I think that was a good moment for me too, because it was like, man, like, that's awesome. You know, if I just show the universe that I want this and I'm, I'm not just that I want this, but I'm willing to do what it takes to try to get it the universe will help me. Yeah. Man, that's that's pretty cool. So it was basically just that game and then you're like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't want to party. Yeah, I don't J- want to party. I want to win, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. For me, like Jason, like I was around so much distraction growing up and like I was able to lock it in, you know, and 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 kind of get tunnel vision to what I wanted to do. Man, I respect that. Yeah. Well, like you, for volleyball, I was, um, well, I mean, I was a big three kid. I played football, I played tight end. High school, mm-hmm. I was 260 pounds, so, you know, long skinny arms, barrel body. I saw I could block and, you know, I could, you know, could just put hands on stuff. Baseball, I played first base. Uh-huh. Um, hit on both sides of the plate because for a year, um, I was hitting right-handed. And, and then someone was like, you're going to hit righty all day, Jason? And I'm just like... Oh, this feels better. <laughs> I'm left. I'm lefty. So, you know, basketball, small forward. But um, what? First of all, what made me play volleyball is when you play other sports. And this isn't a South Bay thing, because South Bay they see it. They already see the monsters, and they respect that. But mm-hmm. in New York, it's a girl sport. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a girl from Dominican Republic in high school. Looked good playing it. I wanted to impress her, so I got on the court and played with the guys and. Dude, it was bad. It was bad. And I said this on a podcast before, but I want to say it again. I want you to picture you're on a fishing trip with your friends, right? 
mm-hmm. and you catch you catch a big flounder. All right, <laughs> you take the flounder off the hook and you throw it on the deck, right? And the flounder is just floundering around, and you're just watching a fish flop. That's how I felt after I left. A whole bunch of people looking at a fish flop, like the fish thinks he can swim. You know, he doesn't know it. Does not not aware. Of, there's no oxygen, and my pride fucked with me. I bought a book called AVCA Coach's Handbook. It was written by Doug Beal and someone mm-hmm. else. And I learned the four-step approach. I learned the rules. And in a year, I was playing volleyball. I was playing volleyball. And then a year after that, I got good. And and I, somewhere in the middle of this high school game, because New York is a big Chinese population for high school. Um, in fact, have you, have you ever seen Asian nine men, Chinese nine men? Yeah, I have actually, yeah. Fucking awesome, dude. It's crazy. All of those, those guys are skilled Nazis, dude. And and high school volleyball is Chinese dominated. And some and some and some <laughs> all right. Koreans, all right? You know, okay. depending on where you live, right? If you live uptown, they're all Dominican and they could play. But yeah. New York has a great New York is second to California and only because California has more people. More people, you're gonna have better players. But this immigration and I'm not talking about American, I'm talking about American immigrants. Talking about these Polish guys, you know, from Brooklyn, these Russian guys from Brighton Beach. Um, and the thing that made me think I could play the game is I played an all Asian team and they said, just set Jason every ball. <laughs> and I didn't have the elbow back and elbow forward. I was this and finishing with my wrist, this, that. And I did that 15 straight times and got 15 kills and won. And then and a year later, I was in the military. All right, um, got my Gulf War vet. Tried out for a community team, made that team. Uh, tried out for the Army team. They flew me to Fort Benjamin Harris, Indiana. Three-week camp, made that team. Got scouted out for a professional team in Darmstadt, Germany. And in three and a half years, I was playing this, I was playing the game professionally. <laughs> wow. Indoor. So, and I was an outside hitter, left side. And then I went to the Olympics, Barcelona. And um, I, uh, I ran into a coach, Mario Trebich, who was the head coach of the, the Netherlands. Um, he, they won a silver that year, and then they won a gold in um, 96 against Italy. And he says, what's your wingspan? And I'm like, um, 80 inches. My wingspan is 6'8". Um, I'm 6'1", I'm lefty. He said, set. So for two years, I watched videos of Jeff Stork. Oh, yeah. Pep, old Pepperdine guy who's now, now mm-hmm. I think, um, an assistant coach, was the head coach of the beach team at... Um, Northridge, Cal Northridge, right? That's where he is right now. The man's my okay. idol. I emulated him. When I saw him, I, I i mean, I'm a New Yorker. I don't get wowed by people. You know, Jay-Z, see Madonna walking a dog. Hey, cool, hi. What's up, Madonna? You just say hi because they're like neighbors. But when I saw Jeff Stork, I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> it's Jeff Stork! It's Jeff Stork! So um, basically from that point on, I became a setter, and that was my volleyball career. And, cool. and that guy, by the way, Mario Trebich, ended up being my mentor. Um, he, cause he, he lived in New York. He had kids in New York. I was his kid's coach. I ended up being his kid's coach at Hunter high school. Hunter high school is like this, this smart kid school in New York. I, I can tell you about that later. Um, and he ended up being my mentor cause he started running camps for Bob Bertucci. Uh, um, and he's also the, he was also a, a part-time assistant coach at St. John's. He didn't, he didn't want a full-time head coaching job because he, he wanted the ability to, to coach in a national team. Um, you know, he did these refereeing gigs and you know, it's crazy. We, we go back long enough to know refs that know what the hell they're doing versus, <laughs> versus refs that know what they're doing that can't see anymore. 
right? So when you see him and he's blind as a fucking bat and he's making the call and you got these kids, oh my God, this ref sucks. This ref doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm like, come here for a second. Come here. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. I want you to, I want, I want, I want to tell you who this guy is. So that's who that guy was to me. And it's crazy I ended up coaching his kid, uh, um, Alex. Um, and Hunter High School was, it's so, I know we think volleyball is such a small world, but this, me end up, ending up having to coach his kid is as rare as the Mannings winning back-to-back Super Bowls, okay? That is like, I buy a lotto ticket if I'm feeling that right, lucky, right. you know? Um, because this school um, leads the, the nation in two important categories, cumulative SAT scores, and Ivy League application acceptance. It is a public school, but not really. <laughs> I'm sure they got schools like that in California that are like public oh, yeah. schools. Oh, but definitely. So, um, so that was like equivalent to Bronx Science, Brooklyn Tech, or Stuyvesant. You know, those are the, the, the he was in, in other words, he was in the pipeline school. Mm-hmm. pipeline to you know if you just if you if you just go to school and act like a mammal you can get into St. John's and if you and if you work a little harder you get into Yale <laughs> you know um, that's how people get freaking bees and get into Yale they go to those schools so but um, that was I, but, the, but the moment I thought I could play the game was that moment I beat that, the, this all Asian team and it was just me and <laughs> I sing and that, that's a good feeling to single handedly just get sad and you're just wailing it sorry go ahead I was going to, um, that's cool. Thank you for sharing all that. I, I wanted to tell you actually two more experiences. Um, for anyone listening, I think this might, this might help too. Uh, in 1998, <laughs> it seems like a while ago now it was, um, that's my first coaching gig. Okay. Sorry, all right. Yeah. I was actually a ball boy on center court for the AVP for Karch and AJ. And I was able to be, and it was cool cause it was on NBC back then. And, um, that's I think right. that was partners. one of the moments they were partners in '98. That's right. Yeah, and I think they—I think it was against Franco Neto and Emmanuel Rigo. I want to say in the okay. final, and uh, I got to be a ball boy. So, you know, um, I got to really see Karch and AJ too, but specifically Karch operate. I got to see him operate in a championship setting up close, and I think that really helped to kind of just um, absorb his his mentality and just you know just his game really. Um, and that was key. That was, that was a, a belief moment for me. Cause I was like, man, I want to be like that, you know? So if anyone, uh, it, it doesn't have to be volleyball, but you know, immerse yourself, uh, and, and follow and, and find someone that you can, that you really look up to and, and study them. Yeah. Cause that's what I did. Um, and then another experience I had too, on a business end actually, which is kind of cool how like I'm a entrepreneur now and a, and a business owner, but back then I actually was an intern at the AVP and I, I told my dad and my dad is, uh, my dad is my number one supporter and I, I love him. But he told me, he, he was like, Hey, you should go, you know, try to get an internship at the AVP. Cause I, you know, when I left baseball and I, I went on this path of volleyball, the whole idea of being all in. Right. So he was like, man, you know, let's, let's see if we can get you in that office. And I did. I went in there and I, I interned and I, I got to see how things operated and um, answered phone calls and, you know, saw mail and, and just I, I, I was in the office setting of the sport that I loved. And I think that was another good step for me, knowing that I saw the inside of everything that was happening. And I was like, man, I could do this. I want to do this. No, that's cool, man. I'm actually yeah. uh, watching a video of you. Okay, we're in the first first. Yes, 
Oh gosh, what are you watching there? This is you uh, against Vought and Gabriel. Oh no, <laughs> not this, this one. No. <laughs> I just wanted to get one play in since since all right, we're here. All right. That's you. Uh, that's Ben serving. And that's me and uh, Alexi Gabriel. Gabriel, I yeah. Say. Oh, put the ball down. There we go. Let's go. That was all right. nice. All right, we can stop oh, there. Hey, we, <laughs> replay that. We close up shop. <laughs> yeah, but no, do that again. Yeah, that was that beautiful. <laughs> a little back set, a little wrist away. Yeah. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank hey, you. Thank you for playing that. I appreciate isn't it, that. That's pretty. That's one of my favorite uh, plays. Like, like if you're playing in the sandbox and not on the beach. You you don't see a whole lot of oceanside the strand side activity. <laughs> like oh a, man, um, okay. Look, you have to. You if you're on the bad side and you're getting served, like I got served every every single point that game. Yeah. And you, and you're just staying in front like that. You're just telling your partner like, hey, I'm gonna need this in a certain spot, and the window is that big, buddy. So you got you better put it there. But if you do, if you run a back set, uh, knowing that that wind usually goes from. Uh, north to southeast, so yep. it's like a little crosswind like that. Now the window goes like that, yeah. and I'm able to hit that wrist away. I'm also able to go cut there. I'm also able to go high line there. Mm. I'm also able to go short line. So the options just increase. Yep. Yeah. When I was um Manhattan Beach last year, I was um coaching Rob McLean and Rob D'Aurora, mm -hmm. and I said just be ready, because um, you know me, I watch a ton of film. Last, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> listen, last year was one of the best beach years of my life. And I mean, it's a podcast. We're supposed to be talking. I ain't trying to hijack it. But um, it was, first of all, it was weird because I got dropped by um Jake and um, Earl. Because Jake and Earl uh, signed up with P1440 and um, Arturo, Arturo was going. So you, had, you ended up having two coaches there. So I'm like, all right. You got that, and Rob was like, "Dude, come, come! I, if you ain't working with them, I'll, I'll take it." You know. So basically, I said, "Listen, Bill, on the south side, every time that ball, um, every time he serves, it's going to be a back set. Nine out of his ten serve receives on the south side um, is going to be a back set because, like you said, he's going to be hitting um, that north." That north wind. Second of all, the yeah. drift. The drifter is going to be allowed um, allow him to, to to get his. He doesn't. His wrist away doesn't have to be elegant. It just has to be good enough to beat the line. Sure. So, and I told you, I told him, I said his two major shots are going to be high line, and they're going to be disguise cut. The two things on a perfect set. So, so I, I said, however you decide to stay in the cut, however you decide you want a head fake or however you want to set up your blocking scheme, because Rob Rob Duro likes to do his own thing, and I get that. But um, uh, I said, listen, I know how to play him, and I, and and I know how to beat. I know how to take one set from him. You know, you if you follow me, I'm gonna take one. We could take one set from him. We did. <laughs> we took the first set, and then they 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 eventually cracked the code, and then third set, um. You know how the third set is like uh, they just start serving the big guys and either you hit or you don't. So Bill hit three, and Diorora missed three, and that's the game. That's I mean yeah. both both good you know good shots both uh, trying to beat the four block jump in right, but shaving shaving the pits and either it's in, or it's or it's out or it's blocked or it's or it's or or you got fooled you got honey dicked and the guy's gonna dig it. Um, <laughs> And they ended up winning through two games to one, and that team basically went on to the semis. That team, Baranek and um, Kalinsky, ended up going to the semis all the way from the qualifiers. So um, they beat the, Rob and Rob. They beat 
my, the team that dropped me, Jake and Earl. And then I was doing analytics. I was coaching for Rafu. And then so, and Eric is like, can I please stop seeing you? <laughs> this is three games in a row. Anybody else you're going to be coaching? And I'm like, look, I'm not even going to be in the box because I can't, you know. So I went to the well, team. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say all that stuff, though. Um, it's all, it reminds me of my conversation with Karch. Yeah. All that stuff is, is trying to figure out a puzzle. Right. And it's a game. And, and the more you look at it like a puzzle, it becomes more and more fun and you get more and more enthralled in the idiosyncrasies of, of those things that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, because the options are so there's so many options. I, I, I love that name. The options. Great. But there's so many options when you're playing. And um, and I think a key, something that's helped me and I still try to do this. I'm not a master at this, but a key is to just not get too emotional with anything. You know, the emotional ride is Waves the emotional crash. ride is well, it's fun, though. Wave, it's fun. It's yeah. it's fun to get fired up. And it's actually looking back on it, even though it's not fun to lose. It's fun to actually allow yourself to feel the pain. Yeah. Um, McCutcheon's big on that, too. Yeah. You know, but but like when you're talking about all these little things and the four blocks and the wind and all that stuff, it's all a puzzle. It's all it's like it's like figuring out what goes where. And, and um, one thing I want to share with you that Karch said that um uh that really stuck with me i asked him about the zone i was like you know how many times in your career you know three-time olympic gold medalist right how many times in your career have you been in the zone and he's like not many no probably like maybe like i could probably count on both both hands you know yeah. and i was like really interesting and he's like yeah i'd say i'd i was just kind of more focused on making adjustments yeah. You know, and like adjusting is a huge thing, not just in beach volleyball and not just in sports, but in life. Right. Like finding ways to make adjustments. And when I talked earlier about uh, the being unconditional, that's kind of what I meant. It's like, yeah, like the conditions are happening. OK, cool, cool. Got it. You know, let's not react too hard. Let's just make adjustments. Yeah, I am. Um... Yeah, I, I didn't mean to steer you out of the volleyball no, stuff, we're but here. I just, it just came to mind. No, no, we're here because we're talking about um, emotionally, emotional highs and lows. Um, somewhere in my 10th year as a coach, got around to watching McCutcheon and some of these guys and like, we want to be up, but not too up and not too down or whatever. And then um, I appreciated more when I started talking to beach players, which definitely revolutionized my, my, revolutionized my indoor game. Because some, some the mistake that coaches make that are former players is they take what their player is doing and because a player's not doing something, they they use it they use the situation and then take it how it applies to them. And once you do that, you kind of fail these kids as a coach because well said. you are different height, you're a different build, you're a different mentality. And the most important thing what I was getting at is big waves crash. There are so few players that start emotionally high and stay there. We remember them. In our, in our volleyball lives, we remember, I'll, I'll give you one, Fallon Fernand Moana. Yeah. She starts high and she stays there. That's that. That's a unicorn. Those are unicorns. You don't fuck with those people. What you do <laughs> is you grab them, you take them to the lab, right? And you study them and, and you're, you know, and, and we get all, and, and we get together and we, we do a peer review thing and we come to our conclusion on, on how, to, how to deal with unicorns. But um, big waves crash, small waves being high, boom, yes. And I'm back. Those are the winners. Right. Those those are the champions. Right. Those are the champions. Well, and those um sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, two things come to mind. Number one, it's talking about champions. Dane Blanton was talking about using dead time. How much dead time is there in a volleyball game? Probably over ten minutes. 
of just sitting there and waiting for the next play yeah. or the in-between plays, right? He said the champions use that time the best. They utilize that time. And that's important for any player, youth player, older, anyone listening right now. How do you utilize the, the time in-between plays or even a timeout? You know, and for Dane, it was like to be extra present. Like if you can be extra present, not worried so much about the last play or the next play, but just I'm right here right now, you know, like that's that's gold. And then the other thing I was going to say about coaching, because you touched on coaching, going back to Reed Pretty, Reed's been coached by the best coaches, including Hugh uh, in the world, Hugh McCutcheon. And, like, and Spira was and, uh, an assistant too, right? Yeah. And John Spira, one yeah. of my favorite, uh, he was my assistant at UCLA. And I, shout out to John Spira, love, love Spoo. Um, but like many coaches, he's had, he's had all over the world, right? He's played pro overseas. So I asked him, um, could you like sum up all of the best coaching into like a phrase or an idea? And he did. So I want to share it with you real quick. So um, it's a matrix. So there's a challenge, like uh, I don't have a pen right here, but just just go like this. So like this would be a challenge part of it, okay. And this would be a support part of it. It's kind of like a cross, right? Yep. And the best coaches are able to go right in the middle of that. Now this is this is probably better, right? So like challenge. <laughs> Stay back, coach. Jason. <laughs> Stay back, Jason. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. But <laughs> but I meant like like the the crossing point you know, of, of challenging somebody and supporting them. That is the, that is the, the golden part of the coaching of supporting of, of challenging, of pushing, but supporting. Right. And it's like, as coaches, if there's any coaches out there listening, that's our challenge as coaches is to find the art in that. Right. And the grace in that, you know? So I just wanted to share that. No, it's awesome. I mean, that's that is a challenge for every coach and a coach that finds that that where where to cross that t is is sorry and the empathy for their journey right Mm -hmm. they're meaning their players journey because it's not our journey we're we're like shepherds right we're like hey we can guide you along but this is really your journey so like knowing knowing that and not getting our ego caught up in that that's another part of that challenge yeah well, it's also a style of coaching as well. I mean, I, I bring your attention back to theater, right? There's a style of theater um, that, that's consistent with the why. You're talking about the why. I bring your attention to Stanislavski or Sanford Meisner's uh, technique or style of theater where if you get up and move across the room, you need a reason to. Right. Mm, I like and that. then you have that's, but that's being intentional. Yeah. And then, yeah, action objective. Like yeah. uh, they call it GOAT, goal, obstacle, tactics, expectation. That's 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 it, you know. Cool. What's yeah? What's my goal to get to get her back? What's the obstacle? There's another man. Tactics. Kill him. <laughs> Expectation. We're happy. We live happily ever after. Um, but there's another style of theater um, called Chekhov technique. Michael Chekhov. Not to be confused with Anton. Not not the uh, playwright. Um, you move across the room, and then you figure out why. You move across again. And then you find out the why that way. So there's one way you need a reason to get up and do it. If you don't, you shouldn't find, I mean, it doesn't make to them, to that person. It doesn't make sense. And his way is not destination, the journey to the destination. It's the journey itself. So I've gotten more out of theater. That was my junior year from that than I did from the other way. And the reason is because I was older. 
like 18 year olds like if you're trying to use sense memory or trying to reflect like if you're trying to play someone that got divorced you're fucking 18 years old you you never been divorced you know how do you you have to find something um another action objective that substitutes that so when the audience watches that they believe you or someone like me i'm 50 i was married i've been divorced you know, I'm playing a soldier. Oh shit, I served in the military. I'm playing a coach. I've been coaching or whatever, and this and that. So, so there, there, those are there are different techniques. And I would suggest to you volleyball, through practice, through experimentation, through taking the journey. Like someone doesn't know why they're doing it, and they're like, why? And I'm like, just, just do it, just do it, and then and let's take the walk back together. So that's a different style and technique that helps. Now, now I'm not talking about in game. I'm talking about um, we were talking about process and preparation. Right. Sure. So I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure I don't uh, again, I don't drive us both off the, the fucking Mahalo. <laughs> um, um, so that's that's been another way of doing it. And for me, I'm the thing that's made me a decent coach is that I'm able to look at a player and be able to do both, you know, um, but it comes it just comes from us being all in. Like if I'm doing this part time and I'm doing something else then, um, and if I try to do both, guess what? I'm not going to be good at neither. And. And that play, that person's not going to be just wasted their time, you know, right, and, and money, right. and money with me coaching, you know. I'm out there. I'm definitely. I'm. I, I'm. I'm working twice. I'm not a South Bay, Bay kid, so I know where my hundred meter dash starts, and I know where theirs is. So I'm. I've been. I'm busting my behind, dude. You know. Yeah, coaching's and, fun, man. Like uh, I fell in love with coaching when I was a player at UCLA, and we we had summer camps, and uh, mm-hmm. Coach Al Skates, um, legendary coach. Um, <laughs> Yeah. He he asked all of us. He's like, "Anyone want to work this summer?" You know, and we're all like, "Yeah, for sure." You know, well, actually, not yeah. all, but some of us were like, "Yeah, for sure." Four point so five scholarships. Yeah, give me mine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I started coaching and just I, I understood what it was when I was about twenty years old. I was like, "Man, this is cool." You know, it's it's not the volleyball. That's just the that's just the mechanism, but it's the it's the the guiding. It's I'm uh what and. So when I decide to coach on a daily basis, I think of myself as guiding light. I really try to do that. And, and you know, we don't need to get too spiritual or anything, but I am a spiritual person and, and I like to see light in other people. And I like to try to guide that light as best as I can, you know? And to me, that's something that's part of my ultimate why as a coach. Yeah, man, no doubt. John's very much like that too. He's a Zen dude. Um, John Mayer. Sorry, I keep saying John like everybody knows who he is. Um, let's um, stay on subject, but uh, veer a little bit. Sure. You're the co- you're the coach of West Coast. You got a pretty good staff, by the way. I did my my, my research. You know, having Justine on board, having um, first of all, any coaching staff, you definitely want to have active players, a mixture of coaches and active players. That's 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 how you win. You know, I looked at Duncan Avery at Redondo. You know, he had Miles. You have Miles. He had Miles Evans with him as well. He had mm-hmm. pretty good assistance. Um, you want to have coach coaches, and you want and you want to have active players. Just floor models, I guess, and this and that. So I guess this is what I was thinking. You're West Coast, right? I'm in the summer. Um, good coaches out here. MB Sand, you know, pretty good, pretty good program. LA Beach, I think that's is that Stein Metzger. Stein, yeah. Stein, who's the head coach of UCLA right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Back-to-back champion. I want to reveal to you my top five. We did a sports debate Tuesday. And not, and top five coaches in no order. Five, No, five coaches that can revolutionize your game in eight weeks. Like if you're a beginner, uh, uh, whatever, and you and you want to become a, you want to be this best, this great player overnight, which is eight weeks for us. I, uh, Rob mm-hmm. gave me his five, and I gave him my five, but I'm gonna tell you later. 
Um, this is what I'm getting at. We're coaching club. Beach volleyball becomes an NCAA sport. Club sizes have tripled. Um, how old is your club, first of all? We're in our sixth year. You're in your sixth year. How mm-hmm. big did your club come before, um, when um, the NCAA announced that um, beach volleyball is going to be an NCAA sport? Mm. Uh, we, we actually had five indoor teams prior to that. So we, we had an indoor component. And then we saw that trend and we were like, hey, like beach volleyball is now an NCAA sport. Like, let's let's shift our business model. and Let's let's be a year round beach club. So we weren't that big, but we did have a little bit of a foundation. (laughs) And, you know, and then because I was coaching varsity at Crossroads. So I had I had that facility there, Crossroads School in Santa Monica. And uh, so we had that facility and we had access to, you know, a a nice player pool. Um, But beach was still like, oh, that's just the beach. Oh yeah, down there you guys must be just just hanging out down there, huh? You know, so it was kind of like that mindset. So yeah, it took some time to try to build it up and to show people like, hey, no, actually, there's there's some opportunities to progress here. No, no doubt. Um, endless summer. I think the difference between us and a lot of people is we kept our size small. We had this yeah. Duran, who's the program director, had this heightened emphasis on smaller groups, more personal attention, and sure. and I like the balance because. Like, again, I'll go back to theater. Like, if you want to pursue, um, if you want to pursue acting, let's say you want to do your masters, you're you're already whatever. If you are looking for small groups, more personal attention, where you want to hone your craft and maybe someday teach it, go to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Go to Brooklyn College, MFA programs, top twenty-five. If you're looking to network yourself, and if you're looking to 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 meet new people, new directors, and and uh, associate with star power, um, pace. The actors, the actor studio is running the MFA at pace. So just like beach volleyball, if you're looking to network yourself and if you're looking to help prepare yourself to, be, to get noticed tournaments and at the same time hone your skill set, maybe the bigger clubs. If you're looking to um, to hone your craft, but a lot of people aren't seeing it, but you're just acutely focused on this. I think Oz is Oz, who's who's who still plays or whatever. Oz is amazing. Oz is amazing with um, I'm t- it's basically like de facto privates, <laughs> you know. So, so you basically you're saying your club size stayed stayed kind of the same as far as the size. Well, no, we, we no, we grew for sure. Like we we've grown, um, and I think the reason why we've grown it's it's because I've really tried to create the family vibe. It's to me, it's not the winning and the losing is definitely secondary to um, being kind Amen. and. And, and being grateful. Yeah. Those two things kind of are the foundation of what I, I wanted to create. Being the best club and being the biggest or being the most successful, you know, those are great things. But to me, the foundation was, hey, be grateful, you know, and be kind to each other. God bless. Isn't that amazing, like, when that's done right, that A takes care of B? <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you got a pretty competitive club, man. Those girls are out there, a bunch of savages, man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like I'll tell you a quick story about that. Um, before the club, before we, you know, created the club, um, I used to go down there. I used to go down to the the location where the club is now. Um, and I used to just give thanks. I, I called it the gratitude spot. Actually, I would go down there and like, 
I would look, I was looking at my life and I was like looking at the success that I've had specifically with volleyball. You know, I was able to win a championship with uh, UCLA as a volunteer assistant in 2011. And like that really, that really helped me with my career and, and, you know, coaching and, and, and just being, you know, being a part of that. Um, but I was also a little lost, you know, I was also like, man, like, cause of, you know, you mentioned money you know? I was like, all right, cool. You know, um, got to figure something out here, mm-hmm. but, and I didn't want a nine to five, but I remember, I remember going down there pretty much on a daily basis and just giving thanks for everything in my life. You know, um, even some of the quote unquote challenges or bad things. Um, I've had two knee surgeries and, um, medial meniscus on both. Jesus. And yeah. And like after the, you know, the first one was, I was 18. The second one, I was 22, both at UCLA. And that was really, the second one was really challenging for me um, mentally. But going back to like the whole gratitude thing, I would even hold my knees. I would even like say, thank you so much for healing Oof. and getting, and, and being like, like getting through that, you know, like, yeah. So I would just, I, I was doing a lot of spiritual work at the time and I was doing, uh, and I still do, but during that particular time before we launched the company, uh, I was just exuding. I actually, you know what? I actually hosted some gratitude circles down there and it was really corny at the time. And I was well aware of that. I was like, Hey, you want to come down and like share your gratitude with each other? I know it's corny. I get it. But we had, I probably had almost 10 people one time, which was big for me because at first it was just me and my buddy KO, uh, Carl Owens. Um, and we would just go down and, and, and just, Hey, Hey, what are you grateful for, man? What are you grateful for? And I was like, Oh, cool, man. Awesome. Sounds good. See you later. And it was like this beautiful healing thing. I recommend that for anyone out there listening. Um, just do it. Just, just, you don't, you don't have to do it with someone else, but you could go down to, uh, you don't have, to, it doesn't even have to be the beach. I know a lot of people don't have access to that, but finding your place that you can go and you can sit and you can be quiet and you can give thanks for something. Um, is extremely powerful. And then when you share that with someone else, the power just 10Xs. Good life. It's a good life, dude. I worked a nine to five, um, 17 years cardiology practice. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. And, but you know what? I'm thankful for that because the person I'm, I worked for, his name is Dr. Rosenfeld. Is it a Rosenfeld? He is um, what you call a doctor of the stars. Right. So you got all these these celebrities coming in. Lauren Bacall, Sophia Loren, Ron Howard, Milos Forman, um, just coming in and out. And the thing I liked about the guy and the thing that, that he helped me find my place was um, I told him I wanted to go back to school. He's like, all right, go back to school. <laughs> you know, told him I want to audition for plays. And he's like, when? I'm like, in the morning. He's like, I had an audition. And I'm like, um, I got some, I want to coach NCAA. I got some opportunities to go coach NCAA. So I was able to work this nine to five. And he allowed me some flexibility to pursue these other things because his motto was he'd rather have me regret doing something and it didn't work out than not doing it at all. Right. So, right. Um, so my thanks goes to him because I, my real father I never met. Had a stepfather around for a little bit. Chill dude. Taught me, iron worker. Taught me how to be a man. But this is the guy that, that um, without him, I don't go back to school full time. I have a full time job. How the hell do you do that? Be flexible, you know? I don't get to be, be on Broadway, you know, um, doing doing a play called Conceal Her. No, a lot of that had to do with this man's support. He just passed away last year. That's why I'm uh-huh. even bringing all of this up. I'm sorry um, to hear that. But he, he, when he, guess what? When he retired, I was done with this nine to five shit. 
Mm. <laughs> that was 2011. And I decided I'm going to take three volleyball jobs. And that's it. Uh, guess what? I, I, a pension? I got a pension. I've been with him 17 years. I got a pension waiting for me a while, Cornell. So that's good when I get old, you know? There's also something about finding the girl who has their own shit. <laughs> All right? <laughs> There's an old saying, if you're not a millionaire, by the time you're 40, make sure you're married to one. All right? <laughs> got a girl that takes care of himself. So... So even before all of that, even when I was broke as a joke, even when I was living check to check, even when I was um, um, uh, living in this basement apartment that you, with, with nothing, uh, rents 400 a month, which by the way, at that time I could barely afford. I was grateful. I was grateful. And I love that. And I love that you did that. And I, and I think anyone that hears that, I call it unapologetically corny. <laughs> I'll say that again for people listening. It is unapologetically corny. Is it corny? Yeah. But can you go kick rocks? Yeah. You can do that too. Um, I like that you do that. Um, John did that. At, uh, he does that um, in the beginning before practice. Everyone sits, yeah. has this moment. Because it's important to prepare that way too. You know why? Because just like theater, the audience doesn't care if you had a bad day. They came, true. They came to watch you perform. That's very true. Do they give a fuck if you had a bad day? No, they don't. So... Um, I really like that you shared you shared that with me, dude. Yeah, you know? and, for sure. And um, man, I'm glad you won that chip. I did I did a little homework on you, did a little digging <laughs> on you, man. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. He's that a was coach. a special. Yeah, he's a yeah. coach with a chip. <laughs> that was a special experience because I actually went broke that year. Um, yeah. That was 2011, you know, and I was working for a catering company, and I wasn't making very. Much. I was driving around. I can I share one little experience about that? Please. I was I was driving around the city uh, delivering sandwiches. And then I would, I would drive a lot and I would drive straight up to UCLA after I was doing my, doing my deliveries. And then I'd go coach and, um, I was getting really deep into visualization. And I actually wrote this, uh, this visualization for success for that team. And I asked coach Mike Seeley if I could do it one day and, and share it with the team. And he was like, sure, go ahead. And we did, I, I and all the, you know, the, the girls were giggling and stuff during it. Cause it was, again, it was a little corny or whatever. But it was the best practice of the year after that. And so Mike said, okay, you're doing that every practice and every game. <laughs> and it turned into like a fun thing and, and it, um, it, it was really cool. But I want, the, the story that I wanted to share was a, a, actually a low point. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny looking back now, but there was a delivery that I was doing. Um, again, it was for a catering company. So like you had all these like gourmet sandwiches and like different dishes. And so it was in the back of my, my car and I was running late. I was in a hurry. And I was also thinking about practice later. So I wasn't completely in the moment, open up the back trunk, take the sandwiches out and they just spill all over the ground. And this is like for a big client, you know, and I'm just like looking at this, right. <laughs> just imagine me just like, like not making a lot of money, not really having too much purpose other than, you know, I had the, the opportunity to go coach, but like I had this moment of like, what the fuck, man, you know? And I, I'm looking at these sandwiches and I'm just like, you know, shit, shit, you know? And I, I had that moment and I think looking back on that, I can laugh about it now, but that was a moment that was like, like, bro, like, like, and this is talking to myself, like, get your damn shit together right now. You know, is this what you want? Is this, is this, is this the life that you want? You want to keep doing this? Is this what it's come to? Yeah. Is it, is, is yeah. 
you know and but that but but like when you take moments like that you have to figure out a way to transform the energy on that right and i remember that day i had to call my boss and he was like all right you got to go to subway and because they need their lunch right now you know you got to make it happen and i did and we and but i remember that moment as being like dude like go create something or you're gonna just deliver sandwiches for the rest of your life you know and deal with spills (laughs) you know and and so that was a moment that i remember that i wanted to share because that was during the championship run and i had to deal with that and i had to like look myself in the mirror and say hey you know what you're more powerful than this man you got more power inside you you know you you got something to offer you know and so that was cool to to remember that in that way to say hey like let's 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 make a change here yeah I agree. One of the best experience coaching experiences of my life um, was um, City College in New York. Took over a team. Now, if you're in Division Three, particularly in the CUNY Conference, and this is this is always the fun part. It's basically you're going to have one guy that's like a D1 player, one or two D1 players, right? Because D1 doesn't only offers 4.5 scholarships. Nobody, can, right, right. You know, men's volleyball is very unique. Where women, women one, two, and three is pretty definitive uh, as far as levels or whatever. But men, you just you just don't know. You got guys mm-hmm. that are playing for a college in New York you never heard of winning the adult nationals. You know, like housing people only lo- not even losing a set. Um, so, City College had two team, two two players, three players that didn't even play uh, volleyball. And that's the unique thing about like half of the CUNY conference. You're, you're going to recruit people that are athletes that are interested in crossovers. Soccer, I had a soccer guy, a track and field guy, and a basketball guy. And their learning curve from beginning to the end, they looked like volleyball players. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool because we got invited to Northeastern Collegiate postseason after the conference, which was first time for that school in a long time. Had a winning record uh, first first time in a long time. Had our first home playoff game in the history of the school. <laughs> Never had one of those. So there were a lot of firsts that year. And it's not kid recruits from the South Bay. It's not the, this this crazy Russian dude, you know, um, that's been playing since he's nine that, that that immigrated to New York. It's a bunch of kids from Harlem that don't even know volleyball. So, so it was really good because Harlem was we were going through some shit back then in two thousand eight. The market crashed. People yeah. were getting kicked out of their houses. Um, you know, people were losing their homes. The rent, the, the rent went up because when people were losing their homes, the people, the rich people that lived in the Upper East Side could afford the rent in Harlem. So now it's being gentrified. So it was just a bunch of people going through some tough times. And the only thing I could do is coach volleyball, you know? In fact, the only reason why I took the coaching job was because everything crashed. I was doing theater. I was, I was happy, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I have to give up something. If I want to do theater, I can't do volleyball. I got to give up volleyball. I gave up volleyball for a little while, but got sucked back in because I needed the money. So, yeah, yeah. so for volleyball, no, 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 you go finish that. No, no, so no, no. For, for, from a volleyball perspective and as far as like helping people with their ups and downs, not my own personal downs, just helping people get through some stuff and, yeah. and doing, and, and doing what you know best to lift people up and to inspire yes. people, which in turn creates a domino effect and, and, and lifts you up. Cause you, you're sure it does and in other fuck, areas of your life. And now too, you fucking you know? have purpose. You come from yes. a man who's, who's drowning sandwiches to you, you got to <laughs> run over there and help someone win a goddamn championship for Christ's sakes. Yeah. You for know? Sure. So um, I, I wanted to, uh, sh- I wanted to share a little New York story Please, actually with you. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, 
Karch and AJ, you said yeah. you were their ball boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Goodwill Games of that year, they played together in New York. Oh, okay. Goodwill yeah, Games yeah. in New York. Lost to Rigo and how's that for coincidence? So, so when you were telling that story, I was like, wait That's a funny. second, did you? Were you a ball boy in New York? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it was just yeah. uh, it was Hermosa. All right, got you. But um, but so I actually was in New York two years ago. Uh huh. Is it two years ago? Sheesh, time flies. For uh, a Gigi Hadid uh, Reebok event, uh, I used to coach Gigi Hadid. Um, she was on my club team when she was fifteen, and now she's one of the top supermodels in the world. Um, but she was a she was a player. She could she could play. So a, and so a so player she recently, and a smoke show. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she recently invited me and her, uh, I was her club coach at the time, and she invited me and her her high school coach to go to, to and she flew us out to New York. And um, I just want to tell you this quick story because it was it, it's actually inspiring. Um, so she actually put on a clinic for a bunch of inner city kids, and she wanted us to facilitate it. And... I'm just so proud of her because she took her success. She's massively successful. If you look her on 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 Instagram, she's got like 60 million followers. I mean, she's What's she was name? just on the Cooking Network the other night. Uh, Gigi Hadid at Gigi Hadid G uh, uh, G I G I Hadid H A D I D. She's awesome. Um, but so it was this. I'll tell you this quick story. So she not only did she bring everyone together. And uh, uh, Reebok was huge and they were instrumental in, in bringing everyone together. But she freaking put her own shoes because she she came out with her own line, the Gigi Hadid Reebok line. And she helped create a shoe with Reebok. And she True. put shoes on all those kids. And there was probably about 30 or 40 kids in there. She put those shoes on, on, on the, the staff and those kids and brought freaking, yep, there she is. And brought Whoa. just joy and laughter and love to these kids, these inner city kids, right? Yeah. And it was funny. It was a funny setup. The net was kind of like this. Yeah. It was like, you know. Smiles. And, the Eminem smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, there was one little, one more experience about that that I wanted to share. Please. So we did this this cool clinic, you know, and, it was, and everyone was all over Gigi. Like, Gigi, you know, you're amazing and stuff. So we were leading some skills. We were just trying to teach these kids how to play. And then finally, at the end, we did like this. We tried to we tried to have a little rally, you know, tried to make it kind of fun. But the thing with Gigi is that she only knows how to hit, and that's it. No tipping. She ain't gonna tip. She's no. gonna blast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, she played right side, and she she could she could play. She could hit. So she's like, "Hey, Aaron, Aaron, set me, right?" And I'm, I'm telling you, Jason, the net. I know. Oh, right. Oh, God. So she goes up. She goes, she, and uh, you know, I'm, I consider myself a pretty good setter. <laughs> so I, I give her, I give her a nice set. She goes up and completely blasts this ball at a kid, right? Not on purpose, but just, she, I'm telling you, she just knows how to hit and that's it. This kid. Yeah. I, all of us were like, oh no, you know, like not, no, hold on. We don't want an injury here. I mean, she can hit hard. This kid goes like this and gets the dig of her life. And like the the ball goes up to the ceiling, everyone's just like, "Oh." And just and and it was a really cool moment. Everyone ran and and hugged the kid and and you know, Gigi, I, I share that story because like um if it, if if you if anyone out there, including you, including me, if we all get to a certain level of success, 
you know, where we're able to do things like that. We need to do, do, do things like that. And I'm super proud of Gigi because she she continues to use her platform. She's a she's a a, a spokesperson for UNICEF. She goes to she does UNICEF yeah, events no doubt. Um, in Africa, and and I think she might even have some schools. And she's created some schools with her success. But you know, use your platform like you're doing right now, like I'm doing right now. Yeah. You know, you create a platform like yeah. we we have done. You know, but even on your social media, like use that stuff to help the world, to help inspire a kid, to help inspire your neighbor, you know, like this is all part of the solution stuff that I'm talking about. You know, we didn't even get into the whole racism stuff that's happening in the world right now, but it quite honestly, whatever is is happening, using your energy to be a part of the solution is, is a really cool thing. And um, especially if you can do it with your sport. Yeah. I think um, as far as like this whole, the whole racism boiling over thing, um, of course, with, the last two instances instances being where the pot just the pot just spilled and it's and now it's 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 chaos um i think america has laid the blueprint on what the problem is you know and what we what we can do to help out um has become a a, a little bit easier you know um just actually for as someone like me who's multiracial my mom's black my mom's black and my father's white and for most of my life, um, big secret about me, I identify with being African-American. I grew up on Flappish Avenue, Brooklyn. To them, I wasn't white. I was just a light-skinned brother, you know. Um, so I just think, one, like there are black people that don't want to be white whisperers. They, don't, they, they, they want us to figure out, the, uh, I'm, I'm speaking as a white guy again, they want us to, uh, to figure out on our own what it is. But at the same time, I think where the problem's being solved is now everybody has to listen to the voice of the African-American. The Latinos do, whether they feel their plight or not. The Jewish do, whether they, whether they, they, they take this moment and try to make it about themselves. Oh, we went through shit too. You know, no, everybody has to listen to the African-American and their plight and understand what's going on disproportionately in this country. All right. My last podcast, the two podcasts, I'm not going to say it again. I went, I had Wendy Jones and I had Kathy, Kathy Perrin, uh, who's an um, um, uh, infectious disease person, just talking about four, four family members of my own that have been brutalized by the police. I'm talking about 23 hours in a, in a room trying to coerce a confession. I'm talking about my mom getting thrown down with a 50-year-old woman with a cop's knee in her back because she, she refused to show a cop ID as a passenger. Not as a driver, as a passenger. My grandmother who got arrested for planting vegetable gardens in the fucking ghetto in, in Astoria. I mean, there are things where I know if that woman's white and if that woman starts yelling at the cops because she's crazy and she's 80, the cops don't arrest her. <laughs> you know, so one, people, white, the white population outside of the police force because the police is black and white they have to listen and understand why certain people treat them a certain way and if they're treating someone a certain way because they don't identify them as a human being then then those those are the people that need to be just they need to be out re-educated or or just something so because it's to me will smith said it's not getting worse it's getting filmed (laughs) Mm. All right. It's it's been happening for for a long time. You're a Los Angeles guy that I saw a documentary called Let It Fall. Basically, 1982 to 1992 
what LA looked like. You had Magic Johnson, you know, you had the beach. It just looked like this this glamorous place to be. But what happened, what was happening in poor neighborhoods, particularly African American, were cops. Cops, you know, they, they get a couple of bad guys, they just start start to assume everybody's their freaking enemy, and next thing you know, everyone's getting jacked up. You know? And when arrests aren't being made, you know what's happening? They're forced to make arrests on people that aren't, that aren't, aren't committing crimes. Michael Wood, he's a sergeant of the Baltimore Police Department, was told by his captain, he quit his job because of this, to go out and make arrests. I don't care if they committed a crime. Now let me ask you something. You're an L.A. guy. Are they going to go to Santa Monica to the beach courts to check to see if you have weed and make arrests? No. <laughs> they're not going to those neighborhoods. They're, they're going to neighborhoods where they think there won't be blowback. Where they, where this is, where we as a, as a society, when you see a black guy get arrested, all of a sudden the white guy's no longer surprised because that's that's how far we freaking come. So he quit, as, um, among a lot of people that quit because they were getting orders from their police department precincts to make arrest, and people are getting arrested disproportionately. People are are forced to plead out or stay in jail. If you say you did it, you can get out. And if you say you did it, guess what? It's on your record. So now, the next time a cop busts you, oh, this guy has a past. You don't fucking know his past. Maybe he, maybe he had a bad past, or maybe he was just walking or jogging while black. So, so I'm, I don't like rioting, all right? And I speak for the black, uh, many black people. I would be a spokesperson for many black people. They ain't down with this rioting because it's, it's particularly bad for their community because the rioting doesn't happen at Bel Air. The rioting doesn't happen in the Upper West Side. They're, the rioting doesn't happen downtown in Baltimore, okay? It's not happening in Central Park West. Uh, it's not happening in the village in, in Manhattan. It's not definitely not happening in Hermosa Beach. These people, these cre- people are armed to the teeth, by the way. Um, so I'm not down with rioting, but I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to say is the this boil over, however grotesque and repugnant to some people, was super necessary. And now that there's a reset button, now that people can heal together, it starts with just just hearing, not mm-hmm. not using your own personal experience. Casey Jennings and Jason Olive got went back and forth like idiots on this. And Casey, Casey, listen, and Casey, I'm not trying to defend Casey, but Casey worked hard. Casey suffered a lot of rejection in his life. So when you go through this rejection and you get through it and you succeed the way you do, you start to say to yourself, I did it. Why can't they? And that's where I think Casey's flawed on that. It came from his his hard-nosed attitude and, and lacing up your own bootstraps and coming out small like a rose before, he, before you know, um, before he met Kerry, right? He was an AVP champ. He was an NCAA champ be, before Kerry blew up and Misty blew up. So he, he already had his own, you know, it's not like he latched on to someone good. So, you know, I mean... Casey just has to step back and listen. And people like Jason, they, they have to stop being so fucking cocky and assume everybody already knows, all right? Um, and I'm going to finish, and the floor is yours in a minute, and I want to finish with this. There's a big difference between someone saying something that's wrong or doing something that's wrong uh, where someone accuses them, oh, that's in your heart, that's who you are. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's not who they are. It's, what's, it's not what's in their heart. It's what's not in their head. They're not thinking about it. They just some people they have, they have their head in the water, and some people they 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 feel like they don't have white privilege. They 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 work hard too, but then they realize and they come around. It's like wait, I I do work hard, but I don't have to worry about walking home. So 
Jason, uh, the meeting in the, is in the middle. The meeting's in the middle. Casey has to listen, and Jason has to not operate under the, pre- the presumption that everybody that, that has this flaw, it comes from this, this, this bad place. Casey's not a fucking bad person. Jason's not a bad person. Jason is awesome. Jason is awesome. I told you before the podcast, Jason helped me with my podcast. Because every time I feel like I'm driving us both off the cliff, and I've done it this episode, he he finds a way to steer it back. By the way, just like you, got to you're gonna you're gonna be a great podcaster, man. You really are because you, you you brought us back a bunch of times. But as far as the race thing is concerned, um, and I get emotional when I talk about it, but I'm back, and the floor is yours. This side, if there are two sides, I don't mean to make a false dichotomy. This side, listen with both fucking ears. This side, stop assuming. What what whatever someone's thinking comes from uh, this ridiculously evil or or, or 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 cynical or putrid place in their heart. Sometimes they just we just don't know any better, right? Should they know better? Maybe question a fact. It's not a better matter of should. It's they don't. And what do you do now? And how do we bring everybody together? Floor's yours. Yeah, um, you know, growing up in sports, man. Um, I was blessed to be able to grow up with all kinds of different people. Amen. God bless black. sports for that, dude. Yeah. Like from a young age, you know, like black, white, brown, every shade. Like I was able to look past all that from an early age. Like I didn't really, it didn't really, it wasn't a thing at all for me. Um, so it's a little challenging when I look around the world and I'm like, man, this is a thing for a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Um, and then on a, on a spiritual level too, I, Again, I look, I try to look past these categories, you know, like, because that's really what they are. Gender, race, ethnicity, those are just categories. And I, I don't mean to like say that those are only categories. No, I know. I'm, I'm not saying that. No, but, I'm but saying, they are also, but not included uh, too. Yeah. The and what I'm saying is I've always tried to look past those things and to see the inner beauty in everybody, you know, um, and, and great spirit. In, in everybody. So that that's where I'm coming from. And then, you know, a couple things about everything. Um, number one, definitely been trying to listen more and, and taking a step back. And, and you know, um, that's the first thing. I need more people this, like you out there. Sorry. Thank you. No, thank you. The, the second thing is um, going back to productive thoughts, right? So what do we do about this, you know? And I've heard lately about um, this idea of being an ally or being an accomplice, right? And accomplice is really what we should all be to each other, but specifically right now to the black community. It's not about being an ally. It's not good enough. We need to be accomplices and we need to have a check on our own selves to say, okay, what are you doing? I've, I've been checked myself to say that I'm probably not doing enough. And I think that's a that's a good realization because moving forward, it makes me want to do more. Yeah, you know, um, I got checked by one of my black friends recently, to and I got defensive immediately about it because I'm like, dude, I work with kids, man. I'm doing the work every day, you know. Um, but thinking about it, it's like, no, I I can do more. I think we can all do more. Yeah, you know, and and having conversations like this is a, a really good first step. But, you know, knowing that if we can all put our minds together and our hearts together, that we can actually accomplish the change that we wish to see in the world. Yeah. And we, we, we should do less conflict with each other, 
We should do more listening with each, with each other and we should be more constructive with each other. Absolutely. And, and in terms of kids, I think the, it's a confusing time for them. And it's, I, I told the, the kids that I coached recently, I said, I'm a little embarrassed for my own generation guys that we haven't figured this out, you know, this and I'm sorry. Is, this is the woke, the woke generation. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. now, you know, moving forward, it's, we can't just blame each other's generations. You know, it's like, no, we're all here together. This is a moment for our country and our world and our, and humanity in general that we cannot let pass by yeah. and we cannot point fingers. Pointing fingers is, is, I get it. It's a reactive thing, but let's, let's move past that quickly. You know, let's get through the emotion and, and start to be constructive and productive. Well, and yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, just to finish that is to, um, the kids is to underlie, uh, like is to, um, any youth athlete or kid that can be told something from someone like us. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of simple. Yes. It gets complex, but the simplicity is be kind and love everybody, period. You know, yes, we can talk about other things later, but be kind and love everybody. If we can just get that message across, like, and get it in their souls, you know, that's a good underlying place for them to take action from. Yeah. I think the solution against finger pointing um, really is one, personal ownership, yeah. acknowledge where you can be flawed, and two, for the other side to have empathy and forgiveness. Yes. Right? Agree. Um, especially, and we're talking about kids. If a kid knows every mistake they make is going to result in a death penalty, they're not taking ownership. <laughs> Kids, not adults. Um, um, they're not going to apologize. They're going to make excuses as to the why. So if there's no empathy and no understanding and no communication, um, there's going to be, that's, the finger pointing is going to continue. So I, I just, I, and, and that's what I think. I think listening is going to streamline to some, to understanding and free and forgiveness. I'm, you know, and, and loving. And, and self-reflection too is yeah, a huge part of loving this. Loving each other is just so, so important. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I probably, if I wasn't black and white, I'd be a racist. <laughs> I'd be so, so angry and resentful <laughs> and bitter all the time, you know, and for a long time I was bitter at both races because, you know, you go to all black school you know, and if a black person's racist, they ain't got time to dissect their white people. They, they, you know, <laughs> Jewish, what? Half. <laughs> you know, you go to an all-white school, they, they see your mom's black. All of a sudden, they act stupid with you, too. So, I mean, I went through a lot of that in my childhood, you know. Um, I identify with being, called, with being black. Guess what? I'm going to be called wigger, white nigger, Oreo cookie, zebra. Uh, um, those, those, those are the four popular ones. I, I could go on and on for the rest of the podcast, but I ain't going to do that. But I think the two things, two things have helped me. One, sports. It's our wheelhouse. Sports has been the one place that even amidst all the, all racial tensions brings everybody together. You bring everybody together and someone's quirky. You recognize their quirk in it. And that, you don't tease them because they're different. You, 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 um, you celebrate, you celebrate. My man, you celebrate the differences. Celebrate and and that. that's why I think yeah. sports has done before and I think will do again. What can you do to help? Do it you to everything you just said. Yeah. Your wheelhouse is helping people and yeah. understand be kind to each other and understand and loving each other, you know? And, and you know what else I want to say about that? Like I, anyone listening right now, including me and you, as we go through our day, we can practice love and kindness. Yeah. There were a, a moment yesterday, um, I was at Whole Foods 
and uh no wait wait, wait. sorry i was at pete's coffee <laughs> and uh i'm a pete's coffee guy i like right. pete's and someone was picking up their coffee and she kind of was fumbling with something for a moment and i was holding the door open for her and i held it open for an extended period of time because i was waiting for her to get done and i was like i could go right now i'm done i got my stuff but like i was like no this is the this is the practice right this is the kindness practice it doesn't matter what her her deal is it doesn't matter what my deal is it's that's that's that little practice those little gestures like that i think if we all kind of found moments like that you know or or letting the guy cut you off and not fighting for that you know like those little practices like that can add up and it can create a foundation of kindness kindness is a really good place to start with this whole thing no doubt when i was 16 years old um uh, my church uh, my mom made made me go to this assemblies of god church I, I grew up a lutheran you know basically one hour service you know we we play football after church in the you know in the yard but this church three hour services Dancing up and down the aisle, speaking in tongues. You 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 know what I'm talking about. Anyone yeah, that's cool. Anyone that's at cool. Teens Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, it's fun. It's the band. <laughs> it's the band. Um, so in the morning, it was a men-only thing. Um, prison ministries where only the men would go. We would visit Rikers Island and uh, Brooklyn House of Detention and Queens House of Detention. These are basically prison systems for um, people uh, serving time or holding cells or whatever. And in the morning... We would just go there and we would just talk to prisoners. We, if you want to talk about God, sure, let's talk about God. You, you want to talk about sports? We can talk about sports. You want to talk about why you're in here and why it's not a good, not a, why it's not a good friggin' idea? Let's talk about that. So, that's experience, and I did that for a year and a half. That experience trained my mind mm. to understand different kinds of people. You know, mm-hmm. it, and, and and it's made me less empathetic towards the privilege, which, which I. I I, I'm straight now. I think I just got to understand everybody's plight because even even rich people can kill themselves and be depressed, you know. Um, but, you know, Christmas, we go sing. I was on the choir. We'd sing Christmas songs. And we, so mm-hmm. just understanding different people um, has trained me such a young age to, to be just fair and understanding and yeah. and forgiving. Well, well, building on that, I think a big part of the practice, because we're talking about practice, right, Yeah, is, is being able to, to put yourself in their shoes for a second and, and and not just for a second first you know like can, and that's actually a that's a business thing but can you can you meet someone on their level first before your level you know because we all we all have our own little agendas yeah. and prerogatives but yeah. but first that's the empathy part yeah. it's like hey you know it's it's simple as saying how are you and and you know what are you up to yeah you know and and say and just just being able to get there first yes. i think is a great practice and recognizing the different recognizing that being there first is only designed to help you recognize the differences not mm-hmm. not to see what you would do better than them but just no, rec- no. just recognize yeah. just recognize the differences in general i just want to make that clear for for um for our audience who who um yeah. who many live are actually still sticking with us chris ship says hi Cool, cool. It's great to be here. Another person break down, break this down. Thought of being a fan, player, coach, and understanding what people have to do to be good. Good shit. That's him. Edgar Tokes. I I like that. This that's a that's a badass Latvian. You want to watch some FIVB? He's really really good. I think um, FIVB in Vegas. I think they made um semis or something like that. Here's um, another practice that just coming to my mind too. When we're talking about um, all this stuff, and it's not just a race relation stuff and it's also not just athlete and coach stuff 
but this is a spiritual practice. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna suggest and throw it out there. Let's do it. That's why we're here. Mirror work. So someone told me about this a while ago, a spiritual person. Um, and it's kind of awkward when you first start. You kind of want to laugh at yourself, but you stare at yourself in the mirror. And you start with, if you can do 30 seconds, it's it, it gets funny because you actually kind of want to just stop and you like want to check your phone or something. You just feel like, all right, that's enough. But if you can kind of work your way up to like two minutes plus and you... you, you it's deep, man. That's a self check because you, 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 you start to figure out your why you start to figure out your mission. You start to figure out the, the inner beauty. You start to figure out self love. You, it, it, and then you show up in the world a little bit better. So it's kind of like a little slight meditation, but meditation is usually eyes closed and getting really internal. But the mirror work is something I would just suggest, just have fun with it. Just try it. You could try it for 10 seconds because even that's kind of challenging because it's a little uncomfortable because a lot of us are like, oh, man, I don't like the way you look. Oh, my God, I'm I'm like I'm balding or <laughs> or oh, my God, like this pimple or, you know, we. but but I challenge everyone to be like the first thing we usually think of when we see ourselves is something negative. So, like, let's change that by doing some mirror work and start to identify the positive. I really like that, man. And. Oof, maybe we finished with that. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I did want to give Dane Blanton, if he's listening to the show, I'd love to have you on a podcast, but a big shout out for you for getting the head coaching job because you you did it the right way. You didn't just rest on a gold medal. He coached a little club. He was assistant coach for Anya Collier for a long time. Four years, it, yeah, volunteer assistant. Yeah, I think it came down between him and Fenoy or whatever, and, and he got the rub. And God bless because it was an African-American um, um it's too bad you got to be a gold medalist to be an African American to get a head coaching job for beach volleyball. But you know, it's like it's like wow to be the best dentist you got to invent teeth. <laughs> Did you ever hear that Chris Rock skit? Mm-hmm. He says, "I'm okay. Let me finish with this because I'm gonna finish with a laugh." He says, "I live in Alpine, New Jersey. I got a mansion." And he's like, don't hate the player, hate the game, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he says, "In my neighborhood, I have four black people that live in my neighborhood: Mary J. Blige." Eddie Murphy and Jay-Z and himself, right? And he says, but you know what the guy next door to me, the white guy that lives next door to me does for a living? He's just a dentist. He's not peer-reviewed. He's not in any of journal, any of the journals. He's just a regular pull-your-teeth dentist. And I'm like, <laughs> think about this. I'm a comedian. I do all right, right? Eddie Murphy, one of the, the funniest dudes to ever, you know, put him right up there with Richard Pryor. Jay-Z, one of the top five rappers, he's number one on my list, by the way, to ever be out there. Mary J. Blige, the, the new queen of soul, the baton got passed by Aretha Franklin to her. And the guy next to me is just a dentist. He said, do you know what a black man, a dentist would have to do to live in my neighborhood? He'd have to invent teeth. <laughs> I just wanted to share that joke. It's pretty That's cool. Awesome. Um, where can people sure. find you? Where, where can people find your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So my podcast is called Within the Game. And they can find uh, my podcast um, at, well, on Instagram first at Within the Game Podcast. And also on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcasts Within the Game. Within the Game. Awesome. And where can where can people find more about West Coast Volleyball? Yeah, so westcoastvbc.com is the website. Uh, our Instagram is at westcoastvbc. 
And my personal Instagram is at AWEXLA, AWEXLA. All right, so listen, with that being said, you're awesome, my dude. I would shake your hand right now, but we ain't in studio. And 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 uh, honestly, like I said, this whole quarantine's helped my podcast because I got I got to talk to people from other states, and and I'm going international next week. I'll let let everybody know. But for everybody at home, for everyone online, social distancing at Starbucks or Pete's, okay, looking on this on their ta- on their iPhone. For everybody on your tablets watching this. For everybody on your desktop. We old school. We rule the world. And for Aaron, the Wexman Wexler, I am Jason DeBeas. I'm gonna hit my music and I say, we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.